The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Your dad and Wayne. Breaking up. <laughs> Friendship ended. Your dad, your dad and your dad. Yeah. Your dad, uh, It was beautiful and now it's falling Fri- apart. Friendship ended. Pre-1980s class <laughs> war is my new best friend. This is Gone by Lunchtime. My name is Toby Manhai. Annabelle Lee Mather is here. Kia ora. Kia ora. Ben Thomas, how are you? I'm good. Samuel, hi. Thanks for taking care of us today. Hi, how are you guys going? Annabelle was um, very complimentary about your uh, facial furniture, which is much like Wesley from Princess Bride. Mm, For all of those listening to all the uh, spin-off podcast, network podcasts, you're going to hear a lot of my moustache content across the network. (laughs) Is it a new motif? Has yeah. it come up on the real pod? Yeah, it has. How, many, I, how long did they talk about it on the real pod? A good 30 seconds, and I'll take what I can get. Okay. Uh, the real pod is a podcast about reality TV, popular culture, and it's available along with other podcasts, including The Fold, uh, Breakfast is Boring, and When the Facts Change. How about that? Business is boring. <laughs> Business is boring. Did I say Breakfast is Boring? <laughs> I said Breakfast is Boring. I'm sorry, Business is Boring. That wasn't. Don't that listen wasn't to there. When the Facts Change. Breakfast is Boring is like, like the fasting spin-off there, podcast. Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, a lifestyle. <laughs> today, uh, very special guest, uh, our Queen, who was the um, in the in the honours list on Queen King's birthday. We announced Camilla as the Queen. And as and as one of the 20 greatest living New Zealanders. She's the order of New Zealand. 20, 30, right. And, and deservedly for service New Zealand. Anyway. Along with Jonathan Hunt. Anyway, she's, she's here with us on the pod today. Hang on, here she is. Since lockdown, I'm afraid I have, I have to admit I have become a little bit of an addict. Um, it's the morning of June 7. There's been an awful lot has happened over the last fortnight since we last gathered here around the Gone by Lunchtime campfire. Um, A very quick, in case you missed it, the Labour Party met up for its election year Congress in Wellington to rally the troops and talk about sausage rolls through the day and through the night. Carmel Cipollone called the Prime Minister, this is true, this is a quote, the ginger from the hut. There were two policies the first policy was not to do a thing that it already wasn't doing, which was increase the super age that was uh, sort of um, trying to cast a light on the National Party's policy. The second policy was to extend doing a thing it was already doing in the form of the apprenticeship boost policy. Meanwhile, the country's most ruthless gotcha journalists, 
the membership of the Birkenhead Bowling Club, <laughs> extracted <laughs> the scoop from Christopher Luxon that National was withdrawing from an historic cross-party accord on housing density, leaving Chris Bishop to open up the file marked housingpolicynotes.doc and hastily turn that into a policy for Q&A the following week. Christopher Luxon was also snookered into saying that National intends to reintroduce the $5 prescription fee on contraceptives for most people, which Labour seized on and turned up to 11 by comparing with The Handmaid's Tale, uh, the corollary of which is that for since 2017 we have been living yeah, in so Gilead. It, it would turn us into a, a monstrous patriarchal dictatorship that oppressed women just like the first five and a half years of the Ardernic government. We had Simeon Brown getting hot and bothered over some te reo on uh, street signs. Might come back to that as to much of this in a moment, um, which was clearly about to send the nation of New Zealand, which is named after a province in southwest Holland, disappearing into a big uh, woke pothole. David Seymour drove a Suzuki Swift onto the stage at the Sky City Theatre in Auckland on Sunday to a rapturous welcome from about 600 people who paid Six, 50 bucks 670 people was it who paid $50 a head um, act act back with a vengeance and more user pays than ever and the very see they the policy was in order to cut down on bureaucracy they would add a whole lot more bureaucracy in the form of minister of ministry and 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 I think I think it's probably a sign of where act are that if they'd announced that policy two elections ago Everybody would have been, you know, would have been would have been laughing at it, and they're not really now. I mean, it's still kind of funny. It it, it sounds kind of funny. I actually had a spiel on this for later um, because you know, act I think appreciate the irony of it. This is like one of those things where you see somebody online making a joke, but you don't realize that they're they're not serious. So, you know, I think mm. the intention of this po- the policy in terms of you know, creating red tape to create red tape is a conscious decision to try and externalise the costs of regulation making and lawmaking onto government uh, rather than, you know, the populace and the people that it affects. It's basically sort of spreading the pain around, making it harder to, making the cost of creating new laws and new impositions higher for government, um, which, you know, philosophically is very in tune with where ACT are at. But it, it sort of puts the onus you know, back on the officials to justify why something is necessary, um, you know, mm, through mm, rigorous cost-benefit mm, analysis. Mm. And Can you buy that, Edward? It just feels a little gimmicky, doesn't it? And, yeah. and poorly named. It's not, it's not so much gimmicky as it's, it's really an iteration of something that they tried in 2008. So in 2008 they tried to do both of these sort of limbs of both um, you know, having higher quality regulation and and having a sort of, you know sort of objective measures to kind of you know cut down on impediments within the economy. So the first thing was you know Rodney Hyde was the minister for regulatory review. Uh, you know, with yellow that, jacketed red tape cutter. Yeah, but w- without a ministry, right, mm. and without his own officials. And so he he was successful in introducing these regulatory impact state uh, assessments. 
but they've sort of become a bit of an optional, sometimes Rather than a new ministry, I think we should create an entirely new House of Parliament that is devoted to cutting red tape. I like it. Yeah, I like it. Just, That's uh, smart. So, so it sounds more like the uh, the Electoral Commission report. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We will get to that too. We'll get to the uh, uh, Electoral Review panel's recommendations. There was also this week a crackdown on vaping, but then uh, over the last 24 hours... Uh, carefully laid plans have had to be torn up because we need to go off the top, Annabelle, with uh, the Michael Wood situation. It was yesterday morning. Paul Goldsmith put out the release, and the and the Herald had the story. And you sort of, you sort of, you sort of felt as though uh, Paul Goldsmith, I, I should say, I sort of seemed like he kind of wanted to exact a hit, but that would be fine. He didn't. He didn't. Didn't seem to really seriously expect that we would end up with a situation where Michael Wood was stood down from his transport portfolio. And this was just to give you a quick TLDR on it. Uh, Michael Wood had held shares in the in Auckland Airport. And he still does. Auckland Airport shares being the unlikely <laughs> headline dominating much of our politics at the moment. Um, and also, he'd bought them when he was a teenager, which is. I mean, good luck going back into the CTU without getting a few glares on you when you're buying shares as a no, speculator as a teenager. No, disagree. So Contact Energy, which is the other f- company that he held shares uh-huh. in, and Auckland International Airport were both privatised by the national government in the late 90s when Michael Wood, teen, teen activist with the Labour Party and yep. paper boy and, and strong saver, would have bought his shares. He would have bought them in the initial float and he would have been keeping them under his mattress ready to hand back to the government when they renationalized oh, the so company. Oh, so it was nationalization yeah, by, I, I 100%, by a teenager. I, I, knew, I, knew, I knew Michael like uh, at university shortly after his okay. sort of share trading career began. Yeah. He hasn't changed a single bit. I, I have absolutely no doubt that he bought those in the national interest in order to preserve them and keep them away from foreign investors. So you don't think that it was so that he could uh, boost his own <laughs> speculative portfolio and then become the transport hints. minister and deny the North Shore Airport expansion? <laughs> Dan Brunskill from Business Desk said that uh, in the in the time between when Wood first said he would divest his shares upon becoming a minister mm. and now he would have made a cool $2,400 in <laughs> capital gains. And once you add in dividends, <clears throat> you're getting near 3 k <laughs> and- Annabelle, it's, it, it became more serious over the course of yesterday as it, as it transpired that Michael Wood had been urged by the Cabinet Office Six times <laughs> to sell these shares. Michael, have you sold those shares? You just started just getting on it, just talking to the broker right now. He some emails had arrived in like an old hotmail address or something. <laughs> I feel said. like Michael Wood's been hanging out with my kids. Yeah. Like, have yeah. you brushed your teeth yet? Yeah. Can yeah. you go brush your teeth? Wow, Waku Niho. I mean, it's such a stupid thing to get in trouble over. Mm. But this is the problem that Labour has is just undisciplined, sloppy MPs. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be their policies that lose them this election. It's going to be the... The, the sum total of all of these MPs doing dumb shit mm. 
that just starts to aggravate people and strengthens Luxon's claim that, you know, he's running this tight right. CEO executive style style team. So it's not a huge conspiracy. I don't think that he was like trying to hold off selling his shares until Wayne Brown had dumped Auckland's ones and then the Try you know out. like flood the market or yeah, anything like that. Yeah. Force, up the pr- like force down the price, I guess. The price. So, yeah. so therefore, the the council will no longer sell it. Yeah, you're right. It's the the, the coalition of chaos is the line that, but it's really oh. the kind of cabinet of sloppiness at the moment. And you've got when you when you add in, uh, uh, you know, Ellen uh, Wood and Nash, which sounds like a 1970s supergroup. Then you've got this. Collection of examples, Ben, of Tanetti as well. Tanetti is before the before the privileges committee. I think maybe today. Uh, Mecca Faitani. I mean, it all it all binds together into something really quite problematic. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. It it seemed like nothing at the beginning. Mm. You know, these pecuniary interests register stories, they're always a bit of a flash in the pan. It's kind of con for young journalists to get a bit of a headline. You say, oh, they they failed to declare this on the pecuniary interest register. The journal will tend to not be aware that there's usually anywhere between half a dozen and a dozen corrections and updates every year to the registers. People sort of become aware of a term deposit that's matured or, you know, and... And, and you know, the pecuniary interest register, it is very important. It's very important that people declare correctly and promptly, but it, do, it doesn't, just, it doesn't just rise brief, just, to the just, level just, of... Just briefly on that, Lee, carry on. But the, the, there is, when, when as, a, as a young journalist myself, sometimes when you look through the pecuniary interest thing, and there are a lot of yada yada trust, mm. and you have to kind of take that on faith, yeah. don't you, that, 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 that those trusts aren't either blind trusts or that... that the, the shares involved in them we'd be declared because it's not that hard to set up a trust as a vehicle to do all your stock market speculation. There are now very detailed instructions for filling out the register of pecuniary and other interests, yes. which was renamed after a dispute between my former boss, Chris Finlayson, oh. and the then registrar. <laughs> I think it was Dame Margaret Baisley at the time. What was, was the what was the nature of the d- debate? Well, so he, he he was he was he was the victim of another one of these sort of PR gotchas. Um, it was discovered. You mean it was the so someone did some journalism on him? No, no, no. Tre- so Trevor Mellard discovered that, <laughs> or, or, or fa- found that Finlayson was on the legal title for a property, and he was on there as the the trustee of one of his former clients, and he hadn't been removed as the trustee. So as the trustee, he has no beneficial interest in the home. He can't profit from it, so there's no pecuniary interest there, okay. which was the, this was the, the crux of the argument and why it was renamed pecuniary and other interests, because mm-hmm. now even if you're the trustee, if you legally own something, even though you have no beneficial ownership of it, you have to list it, and this is why it's now very exhaustive. And subsequent to that, we would always put aside a whole day, basically, to fill out the register, and you know, but some people I think do do it in a pretty cursory fashion. Usually, it's not too much of a problem. It is a privileges issue, but it would not normally rise to the level of the privileges committee. the The issue is if he if he wasn't declaring it 
at a cabinet level and it becomes a cabinet manual breach. And that appears to be what's happened. He, he declared it when he became a minister. Well, well, it becomes a question and not so much... But, 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 but the, the plan for managing it... Yeah, the divesting. You, you, yeah, you can... Ma- any conflict can be managed. Well, most conflicts can be managed. And in this case, the, the, the course the, that they yeah. agreed on was he divests the shares. And then, then it seems a bit uncertain as to whether there were six different periods where it was believed he had divested the shares until the cabinet office was disabused of that, or whether they were always sort of waiting for him to do it, which I think would mean he was less in sort of the wrong. Question, just in regards to the sloppiness, and we see a bit of sloppiness with with National as well, with their MPs going off and shooting off their mouths about different stuff that's not necessarily policy. But in Labour, is this a reflection of the whips, or is it about the change of leadership, or is it just um, that kind of end of the second term um, over a sense of, um, you know, I don't know, over-entitlement or overconfidence or what used to be called third-termitis, isn't it? You know, and there is, I mean, you can see that Hipkins is pretty seriously pissed off as well because the other part to this is that he, and as he reminded us at his post-cabinet press conference yesterday, gave everybody the hard word. (laughs) You know, when all the Nash stuff was going down, he sort of, by his account, said to everybody, for God's sake, sort we cannot afford out. this sort of crap. If you have anything that vaguely resembles a skeleton in a closet or a or a or an I that hasn't been dotted or a T that hasn't been crossed, for fuck's sake, I think, I don't know if this is a verbatim quote, but I'm pretty sure he said, for fuck's sake, do it now. Maybe and he didn't say for fuck's sake and the, maybe that's <laughs> what's gone weak. wrong. He's weak. Maybe if he dropped a good F-bomb yep, in there, that would have, like, just given them the... I, he they needed. It's what Camilla would have done. I, I think he was reputed to have given the same sort of speech that, you know, we can't be arrogant, we can't be overconfident, um, you know, sort of heading into the, the 2014 election. But, you know, it's almost the same as telling a depressed person to kind of cheer up that the <laughs> issue, you know, the, these problems come because ministers and MPs after a certain period kind tend to lack insight into themselves and to what they're mm. sort of they've been arrogant about. Um, I mean, I actually have a lot of sympathy for for the the the, the minister in the, currently the transport minister in exile. He bought these shares in the late 90s, right? Your ground. There was, you're grounded. There was, there was no sharesies then. There wasn't even ASB share trader accounts online. You you would get a letter from something called Link Market Services, and then you'd have another letter with your FIN number, which you needed to trade Ben Thomas is currently playing us a violin. <laughs> so the, the tiniest the, violin. The administrative <laughs> difficulty in buying shares in the 1990s. Have you noticed Michael, how nice Michael, Michael Wood, Michael people he went to uni with? <laughs> Michael Wood has got to find a physical letter a free pass, from 20 basically. years ago. <laughs> what, 30 years ago? Whatever. Like... I mean, look, I, I'm not. I'm not saying it's right. He, he should have been stood down. But look, I I get it. I get how you just kind of keep putting it off. You sort of look through some boxes, and you, like, you know, yeah. Um, but yeah, look, really untidy. It, it does. It smacks of a third term. Um, you know, it's now been three ministers who have been stood down from portfolios or, or entirely or who have left within, what, six months. Mm. Tenetti's before the Privileges Committee. That's the first minister who's been summoned to the Privileges Committee for 
15 years. 15 years <laughs> since, since Winston Peters and his donation scheme. It, <laughs> it's also a sense that, you know, Michael But, but also, of- great get for Paul Goldsmith. And it really shows because he initially thought that he just had like a minor run-of-the-mill headline yeah. and then it's forgotten pecuniary interests thing. But it's, you know, you raise it and you keep tugging on the threads and you don't know what will fall out. You don't know what will fall out of the Wood family attic. (laughs) (laughs) Boxes and boxes full of old share certificates. (laughs) If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And about the, uh, among other things and bits of uh, maybe sloppiness, we had this sort of row over Tedeo on road signs. Yeah. Uh, which seemed to the National Party seemed to adopt a range of different positions. <laughs> they're like that. it's like a yoga studio up in there with all the different positions yeah. there. Yeah. And um which which adds to the danger when you're trying to navigate through the potholes with all these weird words on these signs. <laughs> who, yeah. who knows what they mean? Um what did you make of all that? And it was interesting to see um uh, what's his face? Potaka, uh come in towards the end and seem to set people straight. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's just so disappointing to see that with all of the important issues that we face, and I know that, you know, we can talk about a range of issues all at once, but how is it that this has become the big political issue of the day? I mean, I'm re- really pleased to see the way the media challenged Simeon on his comments, but from a strategic point, what I don't understand is we have an entire generation of New Zealanders now who have grown up singing the anthem bilingually where Te Reo isn't this scary tanifa hiding around a corner. This this type of political issue appeals to quite a small segment of our community. And Andrea Vance did a really interesting piece a couple of weeks ago where she talked about how National is spending far too much time looking at what ACT is doing and in the meantime seeding the centre ground, which is really where they need to be harvesting votes. So from that perspective, I don't understand why National would get into this argument when really they want to be getting younger votes, appealing to women, all of that sort of stuff instead of sort of trying to tug back these people who were probably New Zealand First voters who have now gone over to ACT. But, you know... Um, Tom Kitchen did a really wonderful podcast this morning on the detail about bilingualism and we have this, for a generation, this belief that any type of bilingualism or multilingualism, whatever the word is, is somehow a threat to our being. But anywhere in the rest of the world, I mean, you go to LA, all of the signs are in um Spanish and English, you know, Ireland, Spain, everywhere in the rest of the world. Wales. Uh, There's a wonderful Welsh journalist who's on that podcast, by the way. But, yeah, it's like 2023 fun. We've got bigger issues to deal with. I I became an ardent supporter of bilingual signage everywhere when I was in Beijing trying to find a public toilet. 
I, I, was, I was like, I was like, we need more accessibility <laughs> for a range of languages. Is there a, is there a risk, Ben, that um, the National Party is, as as Annabelle suggests, sort of putting its neck out, paying too much attention to ACT, but also uh, if you spend all your time at uh, you know matinee meetings, <laughs> bowling <laughs> clubs, that you start to kind of lose your focus on perhaps the part of the vote that you need to, well, you know, win. Yeah, I think there's two things to that. The first is that I don't think national are, tr- you know, I, there are obviously areas where national is being is feeling a bit spooked by ACT and is trying to kind of narrow that policy difference. You could see they've been very non-committal on Hewaka Ekanoa and have said that they're going to make an announcement. Yes, it sounds about, like that's going to be housing density part two. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and of course, the housing density issue itself. On the other hand, I don't see that in the uh, Crown Māori relations kind of tatidity space. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about these issues. They don't want to talk about bilingual signs. Simeon Brown might, but the the vast bulk of their MPs just want to stay away from it. For they the don't reason, want to demand for, the debate, as for, they want. Yeah, to. for exactly the reasons that Annabelle outlined, which is that they want the centre. You know, um, mm. probably majority of their MPs are liberal. You know, liberal young progressives themselves. But more importantly, they they want those centre votes. But they do recognise that there is a part of their vote who are, you know, who do get stressed out by hearing, you know, today on the news, um, and and I th- and they can't be they can't be indifferent towards that, you know, you you can't be dismissive of your voters' concerns even if they are a little irrational, you know, you still have to kind of take people with you um, and, and sort of explain things. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a hard line. Hard line to walk, though, isn't it? It's a very hard line to walk, particularly if you've got, say, Simon Wilson at every meeting, sort of saying, "Oh, this ravenous meeting full of wow. people who who only asked about race and only talked about the treaty," which turned out to be demonstrably well, wrong. Well, I don't think it was only. I don't think it was only. But yeah. Stuart Salmon Lund from the spinoff was there too, mm-hmm. and he was messaging me during it. He was saying there are an awful lot of questions about about, about race relations. But the thing Mark. is, I think there is a spe- but there are, I, th- the, you, I, th- I think you have to acknowledge that there is a special sensitivity to that, particularly among younger journalists, that doesn't, you know, where it does assume an outsized significance in the sense that you you will hear, you know, three or four mentions of that, say, in 13 questions, and that will come to dominate your thinking about what the tenor of that meeting Joe was about. Joe Moore made a good point about those meetings, which is that of, you are going to get questions like that come up at them because they're held at like one thirty. Um, right. on, on a weekday when the rest of the population is, you yeah. know, yeah. at work. So it's like grumpy, and it's, grumpy, but, but grumpy boomers all, again. But remember, all those people vote, which is why they Labour vote. has committed to keeping the super age at 65 and why, you they'll, know, they'll, they'll and why they double the winter energy payment vote. And it's a bit of, take a I mean, I mean strategically so. it may well be that the timeline is let's shore up the base, let's get Christopher being... You know, have, having the base supporting him, and then and then as you know, uh, with 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 120, 100 days to go, we move towards trying to the, reach the, out to that middle. The re, the real da- well, no, I mean, I think that they're they're trying for the middle right now. I think I, I think I don't think they appreciate being diverted into these areas. Um, you know, I, I, well, think, I certainly don't think just it's just in terms of the bilingualism thing. Like the irony is, is that it was actually National and the Maori Party that started calling all of the yeah all of the government agencies by their giving them Māori names 
which is hugely problematic because I think that if you're not a kaupapa Māori organisation that's like founded on principles, right. Māori principles, why would you have a Māori name? And, and the thing too is because they're all performing poorly, everyone gets annoyed with them and because <laughs> they've got Māori names, people like... They were lovely ser- now. Seriously though. <laughs> no, no, and, and, and also, you know, I think the whole... I don't think... It, it's not national in the Māori party, but it is... I think it is lazy chief executives putting into print, putting into effect, you know, the easiest parts, the lowest hanging fruit of their requirements to sort of be treaty compliant and to include Maori in mm. decision making and policy. You know, it's hard to do that kind of thing and to co-design policy. It's very easy to go, oh, we're going to do a rebranding because government departments know how to do that. Yeah, I feel like it kicked off with Oranga Tamariki eh, when it was supposed to be the yeah. Ministry for Vulnerable Children and Marama Fox spat the dummy and then it got named Oranga Tamariki. And, and then everybody else has been, kind, <clears throat> kind of jumps on it because it's it's just it's just easier than doing real things to help Māori, right? Mm. And, but, and you know, I can see why people are confused about it. You know, there so isn't can sort of, I. There, there isn't a standard nomenclature, so, you know, ministry of whatever, department of whatever, but then when you bring in the Tadeo names, most of them are sort of metaphorical things yeah. about being guardians or mm. whatever. So it's not actually even much of a guide to Tadeo speakers. Yeah, everything back in the day it was Manatu. Blah, 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 and you knew exactly what it was. Well, anyway, the real danger to national in this is if this debate keeps on going, at some point somebody's going to ask how far into Māori Made Easy Chris Luxon has gotten. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not a a question any of us who are on our Tadeo journey and have been for the last four years want to answer. (laughs) Um, the other, the other uh, corner that Luxon has got himself into or found himself in in the last uh, few days is on this whole contraception thing, which has clearly been seized upon by Labour. We t- touched on it at the top um, in, insofar as there is a vulnerability identified there and the for all the kind of hyperbole and histrionics of putting up memes of The Handmaid's Tale, Annabelle, there is a... There is a sense that if 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 Labour is and Megan Woods, remember, who posted that meme as the campaign chair, so it's not just some <laughs> rando backbencher, right? The idea is, and if you look at the numbers, Roy Morgan provides a breakdown of numbers, um, and the the women aged eighteen to forty nine is where National is struggling a bit again. It's where National was absolutely in the pits under uh, Judith Collins, and I remember a number of National MPs saying to me privately that this was the big problem. That's what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to paint Luxon as a throwback, fundy, uh, old dude, right, Annabelle? Yeah, look, as someone who had five unplanned children, I don't know if I can really (laughs) add... A lot to this discussion. Um, yeah, clearly they're trying to exploit what they see as as nationals' weak point. Is it a bit underhanded and shit squirrely? Kind of is, and you know I think it probably causes unnecessary angst for a whole lot of people. If the, if the, someone was saying to me yesterday, if the social investment approach was applied to this, you know, you could argue that actually, in terms of unwanted pregnancies. You should be oh, the best actively paying yeah. $5 for every yeah, contraceptive, yeah. you know, and there's also the issue of GP fees, which is where Luxon would have been better to pivot to straight away. But anyway, Ben, take it away. Uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, 
Labour, Labour have been doing their best since Luxon became leader to try and paint him as essentially a kind of MAGA American culture wars Ron DeSantis type who wants to you know impinge on women's bodily freedom, and it's totally evidence free, right? It's based on you know some personal beliefs that he was sort of imprudent enough to kind of talk about in a very clumsy way mm-hmm. on radio in terms of his beliefs as a Christian. He's about like me, abortion. still trying to figure out his inside voice and his yeah. outside <laughs> voice. It's like, some fucking relatable shit, bro. Oh. <laughs> and, and, you know, Christopher Luxon, if Christopher Luxon wanted to, if Christopher Luxon desperately wanted to and wanted nothing else and tried his best and devoted his entire life to changing New Zealand's abortion laws to make them more regressive, he could not, right? That's the nature of our parliament. That's the nature of our society. He, he couldn't do it, hmm. and he doesn't want to. You know, if you sit down and talk to the guy, you know, he, he is almost, he's at pains to sort of distance himself from any idea that, you know, his, his religious beliefs do anything more than sort of inform him or suffuse him with kind of the values of fairness and kindness and that sort of thing. Um, you know, there is not any, if you look at the National Front Bench, you know. Which is why when he says shit like bottom feeders, it's like. It's very weird. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, if you look at Nicola Willis, Chris Bishop, Erica Stanford, then you hit Simeon, but miss him and go go on. (laughs) You you know, these are all urban liberals who... It's true true that Simon O'Connor is not necessarily, you know, the Svengali of Luxon politics. But there is also, you you know, uh, and this argument has been made that... Well, if you, you said you were committed to the housing density, you know, we could have the same on the Aokinoa. There are all the, you know, there the, the, people are going to keep saying, I mean, at some point pro- probably he'll have to say, yes, I will resign if I touch the abortion laws or something just to oh, yes, get sure. out of the way. Yeah. But you're right, he's not going to do it. But it's, there's no question that that's a vulnerability. Yeah, no, it is. It, it just the, you know, we take so much of our media, I think, from the States, particularly people who spend any amount of time online. Um, you know, the culture wars are more real to a lot of New Zealanders than New Zealand politics are. And uh, so I, th- I think, you know, th- there is, particularly when you're talking about the margins and the sort of game of inches that's happening now between National and Labour. Um, yeah, no, it is It is a vulnerability for them. It's something that Luxon will have to work hard to address. We have to wrap, but um, Camilla has to go, but let's go quick. Quickly through the electoral review recommendations. We'll uh, rattle through them. I'm interested to know your thoughts very succinctly on uh, on whether whether it uh, whether it's a good idea, whether it will happen, and then maybe a thought or two. I'll go to you. If we'll go. Through, we'll, go we'll go first. Voting age 16, Annabelle. Yes. Do you think it'll happen? Um, probably not. But if you can own a firearm at 16 and get married, then. Ben, and if, a, if boomers are allowed to vote, then youngies should be allowed huge, to vote. You're a huge, huge fan of uh, youngsters that. voting. I don't care. I don't care for it either way. Oh, really? Yeah. Different. Okay. Do you yeah. think it will happen? No. Coat rail. The the coattail rule ditched. And that well, let's do, let's do these as a pair because they kind of they kind of come together. Really, threshold down to three point five percent, which is a weird number, I think, because they couldn't agree. Do you know, in Israel, it's three point two five percent, which is quite funny. Uh, threshold three point five percent. Coat. Tail rule, the one seat rule ditched. Annabelle, good idea, and will it happen? I I don't think it is a good idea to push it down to three point five because I think you'll get some of the weirdos mm. coming through. And I feel like if you if you're able to convince people in an electorate to vote for you, then fair enough to okay. have the coattail. But otherwise, three point five. 
okay, Ben, what do you, no. what, 4.1? Yeah, I think 3.5, yeah, I think it's too low and that probably reflects my own biases as someone who's sane um, <laughs> because I think Annabelle's right. There, we, we have hit a, there, there does seem to be a threshold that clearly insane parties can manage to get to about 4%. Yeah. Clearly corrupt parties can get to about 4%. Um I, I, my sense, representing the the non insane part of the electorate, is that I would prefer a five percent threshold. Ben Thomas's non insane party sounds sounds like a real writer. Uh, the the thirty thousand dollar max cap for political donations. No businesses, trusts, unions, any of that. Good idea, Annabelle. Will it fly? I think it's a good idea, but I I think there should be no donations in politics at all. Don't ask me how that works. I don't know how it works. I don't know. Maybe everyone's given a certain amount of money by the Electoral Commission, but I just think we should keep money out of politics. Thomas's not insane commission. His not insane commission will fund (laughs) everyone according to whatever, and and then we all live happily after. It's My my favourite solution to electoral funding is the one that Bryce Edwards always talks about, which is this one where you're not allowed to fundraise as a party, but every every voter gets a voucher with like $10 oh, yeah. and then they get to donate it to mm-hmm. a particular party to use for advertising. And it's so like then all an, you'd find is having the parties an election for an raise election. all this money to advertise to the voters to get their advertising yeah. dollars. Yeah. I don't think that this is as much of a problem as people think. If it was possible to buy your way into parliament with big money, we would have the Internet Mana Party in Parliament, we would have the Colin Craig Party in Parliament, we'd have Top, Top would have been in Parliament for about nine years. Um, the, the existence of um, egocentric millionaire party, millionaire or billionaire parties in New Zealand, um, you know, is proof to me that you can't buy your way to power. A referendum uh, on whether the term of parliament should increase from three to four years. Are we saying, are you asking me, should there be a referendum or should it be four years? Yes. I'm into four years. Four years? And do you, do you think it will happen? We probably will. Because no. I mean, this is the well, one where well, the politicians we have the referendum. want it, right? Like that's the, but hasn't... Didn't, didn't, we, had one in, we had one in 1992. I thought I, I read that yeah. it got ruled out. Yeah, well, they did like the 70 No, 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 like no. the one that... Oh, doing it now? Yeah. No. Oh, okay. Yeah, then, um, well, not immediately. Be nice. Yeah. I doubt it. Mm. <sighs> yeah, let's have a referendum. I, I doubt that it will. I doubt that it would succeed. But we should do four point two five year two. I think, think it people might love succeed. It. No, it's such a classic New Zealand thing. People say they hate elections, but they want they want to have them more frequently. They, they, they don't want to be. They don't want to take it away from. I them. don't know. I get the impression that there's a. A, a growing awareness that people realise that it's hard to get shit done in three years. I think the problem with the referendum as well is that people who dislike the incumbents go, I don't want this lot in for yeah, four yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you have a kind of natural inbuilt resistance and then yeah. a bunch of other people and before you know it, you get over 60. <laughs> and so it's a bit of a non-starter. Uh, what else? Rewrite the Electoral Act to make it clearer and incorporate the uh, principles of Te Tiriti, Annabelle. Okay. Yep. Yeah. All right. Do it. Uh, sort Is of. that removing the word fax and stuff like that that I saw? <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> you can't fax in your <laughs> shit anymore. Yeah. Which I think is, I mean, that's pretty bad. What if my fax is. I the know, only, like, you know? what's wrong with a 
fax machine. In Thomas's non-insane party communicates solely by fax. <laughs> it's the That's only technology that they believe will not be tampered with <laughs> yeah. by the gremlins. Okay, so some of the when you read the 355-page report, some of their suggestions about uh, making the act more treaty compliant uh, were pretty good. Uh, they want a general treaty clause, you know, must maintain the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. Um, I disagree with those clauses in general. I think by now we have enough familiarity with the principles of the treaty that you actually should be putting that into your law making. You should have specific requirements, you know, to advance the partnership or to meet the the, the requirements of the treaty, not just these sort of catch-all, Hail Mary, sort of, oh, we'll just leave them to figure it out clauses. It's kind of technical point, but... I'd we'll love to finish on a technical point. Uh, that's us for Gone By Lunchtime for now. We'll be back soon. I'm going to talk to Deborah Hart, actually. Maybe do a little bit of extra Gone By Lunchtime in there at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks, Sam. Thanks to members for keeping the lights on here in the Gone By Lunchtime cave. Ben Thomas, Annabelle Mathamito, Man Aikyama. Kia ora e te iwi, Kiaihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.